0: Coming up next on This Week in Radio Tech, George Widom is our guest. He's been on before. He is the engineer to the stars for their voiceover studios. And he's got a ton of new information, plus studio pictures to share, ideas for home studios, and they're applicable to broadcast studios in traditional radio stations as well. So join with us. Check it out. The show coming up, George Whittem on TWERT. This Week in Radio Tech is brought to you by Broadcaster's General Store, with outstanding service, savings, and support online at bgs.cc. By Broadcast Bionics, with the Bionics Studio, including talk show control, social media, and visual radio, Broadcast Bionics brings exceptional audience engagement to radio and TV. By Angry Audio, audio problems disappear when you get angry at angryaudio.com. By Nautel, worry-free transmission you can count on with outstanding control, reliability, efficiencies, and Nautel's unmatched 24-7 customer support. Online at Nautel.com. And by MaxConnect Wireless, prioritized high-speed internet service designed for transmitter sites and remote broadcasts. Hey, welcome into This Week in Radio Tech, the show where we talk about everything from uh, the microphone, this one here. See it there? To the light bulb at the top of the tower right behind me there. I'm Kirk Harnack here in the Telos Alliance studio in Nashville, Tennessee. So glad that you could make it. We've got a wonderful guest on the day's show and it's some terrific topics of interest to anybody who loves audio. And that would be almost all of us. Okay, if you're into RF and RF only, okay, maybe you can tune out or maybe you can learn something. I I don't know. But I intend to learn something. Our
1: guest is George Whittem, And let's just bring him on in. Hey, George, welcome in. Good to see you. Thanks for having me back again. It's always fun to join this side of the world of, of audio. Have we,
0: when was the last time I saw you? Was it before COVID or, or during Def, COVID?
1: Yeah, definitely before I would okay. say. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Uh, well, George, give us a little elevator talk on what your expertise is. It's an amazing niche and I'm so glad you found it, but uh, tell us about what George does.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I I like many of us in audio, you know, we try on many different hats trying to figure out what fits. You know, I, I tried I did everything live remote recording from live remote recording to radio broadcast on the air in college to remote broadcast engineering for 94 WIP sports radio in Philadelphia, the Eagles football radio network. To, uh, to 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 uh, studio recording and ev- I tried everything. Like I really tried. I even moved to Hollywood in 2004 <laughs> and tried production sound mixing. You know, boom operating and doing that kind of work, and it was really challenging. All that led to through different connections and different folks I met along the way to to finding a niche in the voiceover world. Um, when I got the when I got the incredibly lucky break. I got a call from an engineer saying, hey, would you please go visit this fella? He needs help with his home studio. He keeps calling me. He's got noise and buzz. And I'm like, who is it? He's like, Don LaFontaine. And I said, who is that? And he said, oh, you'll know. And that was in, I think, 2005 or six. And I went to his house, and I was like, holy smoke. I don't know who this guy is quite yet, but he's successful. I don't know why I didn't Google him. But anyway, I went to his basement studio. And he's, he had a lot of gear. Everything had been in there over 10 years. So it had this huge Mackie console. And it had stuff that you won't, don't need now. Mm-hmm. But that was what he needed back in the day. He had, he had the Dolby Facts. He had ISDN uh, X uh, Zephyr 9202. He had everything. Like, it was, it was decked out, right? Anyway, when he went into the booth and started, he said, I got to go do this quick ISDN session. He pops into the booth and does a, a spot for the Simpsons movie. And when I heard his voice, you know, in context doing that trailer, I just was like, oh my gosh, that's who this guy is. And at that, it was not long after that, that I realized I need to drop everything else, (laughs) sell all of my, sell my boom operating gear and all that, my multi track hard disc recorders and all the gear I'd kind of dragged with me from Pennsylvania when I moved here liquidated everything. And just like, this is what I need to do. And that's, that's how it kind of started. I was like, I have to just work with voiceover people. They need, they need help. It, it, it it amazes
0: me. I'm almost speechless that your, your first customer, your first client in this niche you didn't know existed, but now it's all you do was Don LaFontaine.
1: Yeah. I mean, I can't say he's number one. I had a, I had a handful before him. Okay. Um, but he was the one. He was the one where I realized that was a turning point where I had to just <laughs> yeah. focus. Yeah. Like I'd be on set, right, as at sound production mixing, right on a set, and I'd get a phone call, you know, and I'd be like, "Hey, I'm on a set," and he'd be like, "George, I can't figure out how to get this DVD to burn." And blah blah blah. And I'd be like, <laughs> and I, the AD would be like, "You're on a job. Hang up. You know, stop it." And I was like, this is yeah. I can't monkey around with movies anymore it's time to it's time to go all in and that's when I just went right into into the full time voiceover, but you know all my first clients were all top promo voices so i howard yeah. howard um howard sorry for forget why am I forgetting his name right now I've worked with Howard Cogan, whose name is more up top of mind because he is the voice of Jack on jack f m right <laughs> yeah, that yeah. snarky voice <laughs> he's been a client of mine for years." And, um, uh, oh my gosh, my brain, it must be COVID brain. I just got over COVID (laughs) last week. The other Howard is like my first client ever. And he's the guy that really started me in the whole, the whole world of voiceover.
0: Well, we're not just gonna just for you, our audience. We're not gonna reminisce with George for the whole hour. We're gonna have I some promise. actual technical information, and yeah. we, we got a whole bunch of studios to look at. Where George is gonna tell us about you know what's important, what's not important, and again, this whole niche uh, is 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 just just uh, amazing. Uh, George, maybe the last time you were on uh, our our good friend Chris Tobin may have been on the show too as a co-host. Chris passed away uh, just before COVID um. came along, but Chris also did some VO voiceover studios for people mostly in the Northeast in the New York City area so he, he's mm-hmm. been in uh, uh, you know in help people correct problems like you've done build yeah. new studios like you've done way up in in, in the New York area but hey uh, we're gonna take a, a, quick, a quick quick break and hear from okay. uh, one of our, our sponsors right now and uh, that would be Nautel. Uh, Nautel. uh is one of our sponsors and you know they make fantastic AM transmitters FM transmitters and something we haven't talked about much and that is Nautel's um, HD radio offerings. You know, a lot of stations implemented HD radio in the early days of HD radio. And then it it seemed to me that there was a bit of a lull. Well, now so many FM broadcasters have implemented FM translators and the legal way for commercial FM broadcasters to feed an FM translator, is with an HD radio signal, like an HD2 or an HD3, and that's the legal way to make that happen. Well, so many broadcasters are taking advantage of that, that HD radio installations, from what I can see, are back on the rise again, and Nautel has not been asleep at the wheel. They have been coming up with new products to help make that happen. In fact, at a couple of my stations, uh, one in Mississippi, one in American Samoa, we are implementing HD. Radio for the purpose of feeding a translator. I got to tell you, in Samoa, not much happening in HD car radios there. A lot of their cars actually come from New Zealand and Western Samoa. So, But in Mississippi, we're going to be feeding a translator with it. And certainly there'll be uh, some plenty of cars that can get it too, although a lot of those folks don't know it yet. I think we'll be the first HD in the market. Anyway, uh, HD radio implementation from Nautel is a cinch, and it really, really works well. Well, their, their HD multicast plus Product is amazing. It's the import of the exporter in one box. You can use it as, as an importer. You can use it as an exporter, or you can do both at the same time. And it's got this this famous uh, IP connection from your studio out to the transmitter side to carry these HD signals. Even better, Nautil makes this easy because they give you a lot of learning available right on their website. You can learn about increasing your HD power if you already have it. You can learn about the whole HD multiplex idea. Uh, you can learn about their, um, their advanced user interface, the AUI. You can also learn about uh, HD reliable transport. Uh, that's something that my employer, Telos Alliance, has worked with Nautel on to prove out and show how well that it works, your radio air chain also. And so Nautel is a great uh, resource to go to, um, yeah, they do have a resources tab, but you can find find out about their AM, their FM, and their digital radio offerings, plus all the resources of white papers, books, videos, uh, and webinars, all on the Nautel websites. Let me encourage you to go there, nautel.com, and take your pick of all the things you wanna choose from. Watch out for their Transmission Talk Tuesday uh, roundtable discussions to come back in February as we wake Jeff Welton up from his sleep. and He'll be back to uh, to do those. Thanks a lot, Nautel, for sponsoring this week in Radio Tech at nautel.com. We are here with George Whittem, and uh, George, great to have you back. Your expertise comes in uh, building and fixing and designing voiceover studios you know during covid uh, you, your vo customers tended to be people who what who did vo for a living anyway but during covid we sure got a whole rash of people doing more voice tracking for radio from home has had those people been a, a part of your consultancy
1: yeah it's it, the folks that were doing a lot of the stuff for radio I think we're some of them were used to doing it and then a lot of, and then a few folks that I knew that were going into stations and doing that work from uh, had to do that work from home typically the engineers at that station came up with a kit that they brought home with them that they would record into the automation and do all that oh yeah um, the I, I had a client who is with um, uh, 94.7 The Wave, you know, mm-hmm. and she had to do that. She had to learn how to make all that work, you know, it was a little intimidating for her. So, um, <clears throat> in the same vein, but in a different a vertical, different industry, you know, we had all these animation voice actors who live in Hollywood, work in Hollywood, drive to the studio, just like a regular acting gig, you know, that's, that's their life. And all of a sudden, there ain't no studio to go to. They have to do it at home. And... I got calls from the most variety of different styles of actors ages you know i'm getting calls from folks in their 70s or more who are now forced to have a home studio and some of them don't even work that much but now they realize if they the agent's like well if you want to keep working you got to have it and it was very intimidating for a lot of these voice actors who did not have a work at home studio you know while while my whole client base is based around home studios there was this new uh, ingest of, of of actors who how were being dragged, kicking and screaming, into having a home studio. So that was a big adjustment that I helped a lot of those folks.
0: Uh, in fact, I was just looking here uh, at your website, George, and uh, if I could if I could bring this one thing up, I saw you on a podcast here,
1: Alison's Wonderland, uh, and and this is a, a an animation voice actress, right? Yeah, Allison is a talented animation and video game voice, and her show is all about talking about those industries. Mm-hmm. And uh, and she's been a client of mine. I designed her studio. And uh, so when she was ready to start a new season of her show, she made a whole new set. And I helped her set up her cameras and get everything set up audio-wise so that it was an easy workflow for her. But anyway, that's what I'm doing here, talking with her about trends in the, trends in the industry, you know, things that are happening that we all have to kind of adjust to in this coming year. Um, not sure where we want to go with the show next.
0: I, 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 I think we can get a lot of conversation started around some of the pictures that you have and I'm looking away sure. cause I'm, I'm trying desperately here to get this, uh, re- you're multitasking. <laughs> yeah, I'm multi-tasking. I'm, I, this makes me appreciate even more my, uh, um, my uh, uh, a producer who's normally mm-hmm. sure. uh, normally here doing these things for me, so that's why sure. I have to look away from the camera. I Absolutely, should do, I
1: should we do. do we do VOBSTV the same way, and we have a producer yeah. TD that helps us keep that show flowing. And when she's not there, you can tell <laughs> it's, <laughs> yeah. it's much harder to keep that flow going. You can you can make it work, but it doesn't flow like it usually does. Anyway, Let, there we go. There's a, there's the gallery. Yeah, on we're gonna, George we're, D. We're, dot tech.
0: So we're going to look at, yeah at George the George the Dot tech. That's so cool. Um, And so we're just going to look at some of your handiwork, things that you've built from scratch or consulted or or, or Mm -hmm. whatever. Mm -hmm. If you can, uh, if you want to tell me if you want me to go deeper into any of these uh, pictures to to describe the
1: bit. You'll see Allison's studio, which is it's the one that has it's like a a down of you looking downward into a bigger room. Ah, keep okay. going, okay, and keep going do, 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 and do, do, keep going, do, 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 and a little bit more, and there it is, boom. Ah. So that is the room that you saw me just sitting in with all the roses and stuff on the wall. That was underneath the loft on the right. This is a this is a tiny house. She had slab up built a tiny home that I found designed for online that she liked. Mm-hmm. It's twelve feet. Uh, what is it? Twelve by ten feet. It's the absolute maximum space she could build on her property. In mm-hmm. her backyard, and it's an entire soundproof room. It's the entire thing is soundproof. It was a hundred thousand dollar plus build. So she, she, she does a whole VO business out of a tiny house. Yeah, I mean this is in this is in the backyard behind yeah. her home in, in Toluca Lake area. Okay, and uh, we 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 treated it and built this thing. To To, be a, to allow her to work anytime, no matter what's going on. It has double sliding patio doors to enter. So uh-huh. it has like a mini airlock to give you that extra level of isolation. And uh, if you click on it, I mean, there are a lot of photos. You'll see it's literally a build log of the entire build. So if you flip through it real quick, you can see. I mean, this was a literal from ground up build. And I, I'm, I'm the designer on this, you know, I'm a, like a designer consultant oh. and then the contractors coming in and doing and there's some video interspersed. You, you don't have to watch that. But uh, there's detailed photos of some of the issues that needed to be fixed. I love to log as much as we can and keep a record of the whole process. But you can see it's like it's a building inside a building. You have an outside building uh-huh. and then you have an inside building. That's the interior frame that the inside is a, a constructed on even the loft is not attached to the outside of the building really everything is on the inside of the building it's literally a room in a room so, a so building inside a building this is actually dead quiet then isn't it it is really quiet the on, the only look, those windows they were over engineered they 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 shipped them in and i said we don't need four panes of glass per window, but thanks. <laughs> okay. <That> was, <laughs> we'll the windows it. were crazy over-engineered, but it's got lots of glass on all the windows. And then it's got an interior and exterior window assembly. Mm-hmm. So you have one assembly on the outside, one assembly on the inside. Everything is doubled up to create that isolation chamber that uh, you need to to have an entire room be soundproof and there are very few folks out there that will that will invest at this level for a voiceover studio but as they say if you have the means it is so choice oh my gosh oh <laughs> it's goodness. really amazing yeah yep.
0: you want to talk about some of the gear that's
1: that's here yeah well so when this studio was installed she was still using ISDN pretty consistently and using an Avalon 737 preamp which there are still folks who are these are in their studios they love them um and uh and that was just the basics of what she's using now nowadays uh, you know it's been eight nine years now the studio is centered around uh, universal audio apollo hmm. and i have many 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 studios built and based around the apollo now because it's one of those pieces of gear that i've been learning I've been training myself on it for 11 years, you know, like since it came out. So I take it as like, I know every little idiosyncrasy, every little weird thing about it. (laughs) And I figured out every way to hack this thing to make it work in a voiceover studio. This is music production gear being shoehorned into into a voiceover studio. How are those tasks
0: really, really different? What are some of the key points that makes music recording different than voice
1: recording? So in the music context, it's all about multi-track. You want to bring in a whole bunch of signals, print them, have them there so that we can manipulate, edit, and mix them later, right? That's what music recording is all about. And so a device like Apollo is centered all around doing just that, multi-track. What we want to do in broadcast, and when I say a voiceover studio is broadcast, Mm -hmm. it's not live to air, but it is live to another studio or it's live to tape right you're recording Mm -hmm. and you have other elements involved in doing so Mm -hmm. and that involves you guys all know the word mix minus (laughs) yeah Yeah. you need sometimes several mix minuses to have a fully equipped voiceover recording studio so that you've got a mix minus for your studio monitors a mix minus for your headphones a mix minus for the recording track itself a mix minus for the The communications channel that goes back out, that used to be ISDN, but whatever technology that you're using, all these things require their own mixes. And that requires a lot of aux sends. And most of the gear out there isn't suited to do this. It doesn't have the flexibility. It doesn't have the routing. And you're always you're t- Basically, we had to do it like the old days. We had to have a big analog desk, yeah. with at least two aux ends and a couple of buses. And you needed this big giant mixer, just to do all the you know signal routing. That's all it was doing. It was just bussing things from here to there, right? Now that can be all done in a digital domain, you know. And the and the Apollo uh, has the flexibility to allow that to happen. And I can literally rewire the thing internally to now do the job perfectly. You know, I can say, I don't need these 17 channels, I only need these two channels, and I want these inputs to go to these channels, and I can rewire it entirely. It's it's very flexible.
0: Wow. And wow. Okay. Okay. I, I, I can see where it's, yeah, somebody really doing VO works. I, sometimes I think of a VO studio as literally a microphone, a preamp, a little bit of processing and a computer and maybe a really reliable hard drive.
1: That's, uh, and That's really the basics. I mean, the mm-hmm. basics of what most voice actors will need, especially the folks getting started doing self-record, self-directed work, um, is just a good mic, really good acoustics, a low noise floor, and um, a reliable computer you know i'm i happen to be a mac fan i you obviously windows works if you have a system built properly for audio production it works fine but it you need a system that you can rely on it's consistent and you get the same sound quality day after day after day that kind of consistency is super important so in a way it's almost like you're making a broadcast on-air studio in a very miniature condensed format in a home it's it's kind of like that, right? Because you need that level of sound quality and consistency.
0: So h- help me understand something here about your business. Is this the Apollo you're talking about, or some other? That is
1: the one? that is the very same. In fact, I have one. I'm I'm actually using one right now for the show.
0: Okay, so I, I, I'm sorry, I'll. Uh, looked at this and thought it was basically the same as every other USB interface, but you've talked about things you can do internally to it. What makes this such an amazing
1: box for, for your use? The magic is with the part you can't see. Uh, can I show you something really quick? Sure. Can you? Yeah, let's try this. Let's choose share screen. We'll do a Chrome. We'll do a window. We'll try this. I can only show one of these at a time. Well, let's just do this first here. Here is the console, right? So this go. is the console interface for for the Apollo Twin, right? So okay. this is where all the magic's happening, right? So the Apollo on the surface looks like a two-in, two-out, very basic interface. And if you don't know how to use any of the software, that's what it is. Okay, It's just a two-in, two-out gain, two microphone preamps, monitor headphone output, and that's it. Right? Wait a
0: minute. When, when I talk, the playback meter wiggles. And yes. when you talk, the desk meter w- wiggles. Okay, because you're yeah. hearing me, obviously, through uh, our StreamYard connection.
1: Yeah, that's one of my mix oh, okay. minuses. So I have oh, a okay. playback or loopback mix minus. That's coming back from you. That's coming up in my cans. But then I have a mix minus right here that uh, if I if I was to unmute this and you were to talk, say hello. One, two. One, two. One, yeah, I, hear it I hear it back. It back. It's a, you hear it back, right? <laughs> it so back. that's one of the mix minuses I have to make. I also have another channel that's Mac Sound System. That's just the sound coming from the Mac. Mm -hmm. This could also be a sound coming from a DAW, for example. And then desk is my desk mic, and booth is my booth mic, the mic that's inside this ISO booth behind me, right? That's all coming in there, but that's half the story. The other half of the story is actually... The amount of routing that's happening under the hood, which is called the I/O matrix, and I'll show you this real quick. Just oh, sure. Your fan, your your followers will enjoy the matrix idea. There we go. This yep. is the power user part of it. This is the matrix. In other systems, they might call this the busing or the mate. Uh, the, in broadcast, you have all these signal matrices, right? Yeah,
0: or or routing. We might routing. Call it routing. Yeah,
1: this yeah. is the router, right? This is a router, and I can completely customize the routing. To do exactly what I want it to do. The default is not anything at all what this looks like. The default is every single channel is an input on the Apollo. I don't want an input on the Apollo on every channel. I want an auxiliary mix to be input one on the Apollo. So I can create my own mix to send out and that's what I'm doing. I'm manipulating and I'm also manipulating the outputs. So instead of the default outputs being the speakers, now the default outputs are a fader on what's called the virtual channels of the console. So it's, I have to reimagine the way the Apollo was designed for a whole different purpose, and it's taken years to, <laughs> wow. get, to wrap my head around how to do this, but that's the secret. You guys just saw it here on the air. <laughs> Take screenshots, because that's how it's done. That's my <laughs> secret.
0: Well, yeah, you know, there are some similar things that go on in the broadcast engineering world, but you've just introduced us to how this gets done in in the VO world. And the main thing I'm blown away. I had no idea the Apollo had all that in, internal. I thought it was just another
1: stereo in, stereo out USB interface. So, yeah, that, that that the, cost a lot of money. So, yeah, it's it's a tricky thing. And people buy them because they they get enamored by the plugins. They have all these mm. models models of real pieces of gear, you know, and they get really they get so excited about. I'm like, that's not what this thing's all about. That's great. You can. I have an API Vision channel strip on my voice right now. It sounds great. You know, I have a Teletronics LA2A on my <laughs> voice right now. Right. That's all there. I can. I can turn it off at a click of a button, and then you now it's more flat. And turn it back on. But that's not what voice actors need. They don't need a ton of front end processing and a ton of color. They need clean, low noise, zero distortion recording. That is the key. And then the rest is just, it's just, you know, it's just great. It's gravy, you know, like uh, anything else I can do to just bolster the levels or get a higher output level is, uh, is what I want to do. But I don't want a lot of junk in there. I don't want a lot of color. I don't want distortion. I want clean, right, right. clean audio. You want it to be the voice actor, but you want it to be the best at that.
0: No, no, nothing irritating. Get rid of anything that's that, that's not. Yeah, nothing, nothing
1: distracting. Yeah, you know, yeah. if you hear a voice and you go, "Oh, that sibilance is distracting," yeah. or that mouth noise is distracting, <laughs> or whatever, that's that's the stuff I'm I'm paying attention to, and then it's trying to control the luffs, right? And in the voiceover world, mm-hmm. nobody knows what the hell yeah. that means, right? So I am constantly pounding on people like, "Pay attention to your luffs." try to c- come in around minus 20. That's kind of where we've coalesced around kind of like the average delivery l- level for auditions, you know, try to come in around there. Well, how do you do that? Well, then I show them techniques to try to get those, those levels, you know, consistent. And that's, that's one of the hardest things for voice actors, self-recording and then giving consistent level output. You know, their levels tend to be all over the place. We are talking to George Whittem. He uh, is uh, your your podcast is is called. Well, I've got a couple right. I've got yep. the show, which is kind of like what we're doing here. That's V O B S dot T V, and then I have a really geeky one called the Pro Audio Suite. That's a traditional podcast. <laughs> There's no video yet. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's all audio, and yeah, that's the Pro <clears throat> Audio Suite. That's four of us that just go down the rat hole about any number of topics from mix minuses to you know to mic preamps and all sorts of matter of everything having to do with recording voiceover and and sometimes even music and broadcasts too
0: We're talking to George Whittem, and we're going to be back with George in a minute. We're going to hear, hopefully hear uh, maybe a a story or two about some unusual situations or interesting problems to fix. Uh, George may review a couple pieces of gear he's liking a lot uh, lately, including, well, the Apollo he just talked about. And uh, we're going to look at some more studio pictures. All that is coming up on This Week in Radio Tech. We're going to hear now from our friends at Broadcast Bionics and the Bionic Studio.
2: Welcome to the Bionic Studio. The Bionic Studio brings all audience interaction to the fingertips of a production team in radio, TV and podcast. Our workflow-led system is working 24-7 around the world for small broadcasters and national and international networks. Our telephony module, Bionic Talk Show, allows cost-effective centralization, remote operation, scalability, and resilience across an entire network of stations, but at the same time is used in single-studio self-op environments. Social media curation and activity is now considered a broadcast-critical part of programming. Bionic Social means the studio isn't overwhelmed with a wall of interaction from an ever-growing number of social platforms. We combine SMS, MMS, and email together with with a speech-to-text service for listeners using smart speakers. We enable studio teams to curate, filter, and display all platforms in one place, and post text, images, and video content to multiple platforms in one operation. effortless collection of video content with Bionic Director has helped position some of the world's most successful stations as leaders in viral content, generating appointments to listen and free marketing via retweets and shares. Bionic Contest enables end-to-end tracking of on-air competitions, live reads and prizes. These could be on-air contests, automated SMS entry or online anywhere and skype tx for radio brings high quality audio and video contribution into the studio with ease no need for dedicated pcs to run different applications everything is controlled within the bionic studio ui and incoming connections are visible to users along with all other platforms our codec integration enables connection algorithm configuration and directory to a wide range of ip and ISDN codecs Bionic Studio, a unique suite of products designed to enable your talent to work smarter.
0: Hello. (laughs) Thanks for coming to Broadcast Bionics and their sponsorship of This Week in Radio Tech. They've got amazing things like Camera One, Phone One, and a whole Bionic suite of of stuff. Check them out at. Bionic.radio or bionics.co.uk. Hey, it's Kirk Harnack. I'm here with George Whittem. George is the uh, kind of the engineer to the stars, right? And, uh, 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 George, I was wondering if you might be able to um, relate to us. You, you can keep the names secret. The names maybe are not important. <laughs> uh, just knowing this, probably somebody we've heard before tonight on The Simpsons, you know yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, I wonder if you might have a war story to uh, to relate to us. You, the, the Don LaFontaine story, I think you told the first time you were on our show about how there were buzzes and hums and things like that, and you went in. The guy had great equipment, but it sounds like it wasn't hooked up hooked up well. What other sorts of things have you uh, have you come across that you could relate to us?
1: Well, yeah. I mean, th- that's why I decided I needed to do this because there were installers doing these overly complicated and elaborate studios for a voice actor who didn't need most of the f- stuff, and then certain a very important details were being overlooked. Like in that case, they didn't—they oh, didn't realize that it'd be a bad idea to have an electronic dimmer rack for the entire house's electronic dimming system to be hanging directly on the wall behind a giant analog mixing desk. Ooh. They didn't realize that that would create MFI and create a nasty buzz every time it got dark. That whole house had digital, had a digitally controlled dimming system. It was next level. I've never seen anything like it in a home, but that's hmm. what it had, and it created noise, I and mean, I, I had to figure that out the hard way. Um, but uh, man, the war stories, a lot of them come down to voice, acting, voice actors having to work from the road Oh. You know, we, we, we like to say that, uh, you know, there's something in the voiceover business about golden handcuffs. I know there's a lot of f- versions of golden handcuffs, but in voiceover, golden handcuffs is you've got a contract, you might be doing an affiliate station job that is never stops, you know, it never ends. It, it, you're on call from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. every single day, um, or maybe promo or even a trailer campaign. Maybe you get on a trailer campaign. If you get a voice actor on a trailer campaign, if that campaign keeps right on going because the movies get nominated, they keep doing more and more and more and more spots and they expect the voice actor to do them, like right now, (laughs) like 30 minutes from now. I don't care what you're doing. So a lot of the innovation and the challenges of what I've been doing over the last 15 years is figuring out how voice actors can travel and still connect to their clients and deliver them the same level of quality they expect to get from when they're in their home studio. That's that's sort of like the when it comes to voice actors going to war. That tends to be when that really comes up, you know, it's yeah. that, that challenge. I'm I'm a little curious about
0: um, just I, you know I was going to put this off till later on, but I'll probably forget. So let me ta- ask you about it now. Um, artificial intelligence. And how it might apply to the audio world, I, I saw a demo on YouTube in the last few days. Uh, a fellow explaining this this Adobe plug-in that uh, purported to remove all kinds of crazy room noise and even make a five dollar stupid condenser mic sound mm-hmm. kind of reasonable. Mm-hmm. Now we we. Well, one reason you spend a hundred thousand dollars on a little house and a studio that's totally isolated is so you don't have to use those tools and that you're you're starting with a great product. What, do you have any thoughts about AI and where this might take us in in terms of making bad audio
1: sound good? Oh boy, do I ever <laughs> okay. this, a- AI is it's it's got all of our industry uh, on edge to say the least. Um, We're hearing better and better voice models, better and better tools for automating so many different tasks. And all of us know really that if we're not learning how to make use of AI in our fields that we're gonna fall behind, right? This is the truth of it. Well, AI is being used in a lot of really interesting ways like noise reduction, like you just said. In fact, um, timing-wise, we're gonna bring on a a gentleman named Michael Pearson-Adams from Waves, who is known for making one of the absolute most iconic and, and innovative noise reduction plugins out there. It's called Clarity. Hmm. And Clarity is using a neural network. It listens to your voice and it figures out what in that signal is actual human voice and what is not. And so what it's allowing you to do is, is remove very extreme noises and very random noises because it knows what your voice is. So it knows that everything else that's not your voice can be removed, right? Yeah. And it's incredible. It'll It'll remove a random door shutting sound, like kuk-chunk, it'll remove that because, oh, that's not human <laughs> voice. Um, it's it's amazing. And that's those are the kinds of AI-driven processing tools that we're talking about. The thing is, some of them do audio that I would say is good enough for maybe podcasting. But what I've heard of all of these magic tools, like the Adobe tool, um, mm-hmm is that it makes audio and there's a few others that i've been playing with they some of them make audio that's good enough you know it's it's pretty good it you know a lot of people the average listener would be it would is and would be very impressed right but the last the the pros know the 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 people that actually care about audio quality they know and they still hear the difference between a digitally manipulated version of the audio and a proper clean unadulterated version of that audio and it's going to be a while before the ai tools are so impressive that the two are indistinguishable it's going to be a long time just like it's there's not animated there's no animated voice uh animated features yet with human faces that are real because of what they call in uncanny valley right what was that? Uh, was it uh, the, the Express Polar Express? So this was the first movie years ago with Tom Hanks mm-hmm. where they animated everybody's faces, but they all had this zombie stare because they just didn't quite look human, right? Yeah. We're 10, 12 years later. We're still not trying to animate human faces that look realistic on features because it's we still can't do it well. And the same is going to be true for our voices and other things. There's going to be this uncanny valley that's going to continue on for a very long time. That's an interesting phrase, un- uncanny valley.
0: But we, we know that that if, if something animated looks is, is trying to fool you to thinking it's real and it's, and it's not, especially a human face, it gets creepy.
1: Yeah, you know, that's, right. that's right. That's yeah. right. It's a little easier with voice, obviously, because there's there's a visual components not there. Yeah, but and but the closer you listen to it, the more you'll notice it. It's like anything else. The more discerning you are, the more you will be wanting to continue to hear live, real human performance. You know, we still have orchestra scoring stages at Warner Brothers. Mm-hmm. We don't have a guy. Yeah. We, we do have um uh, who's that amazing score that the uh, German guy that does everything nowadays? Why am I forgetting his name? he he this guy has synthesizers that can do everything, right? Yeah, but yeah. At the end of the day, he's still gonna bring an orchestra in and score with real instruments, real humans. and well and, you know. and I, I may be speaking from literally
0: twenty year old knowledge here, sure. but it's the difference between a drum machine and a live drummer. Uh,
1: yeah, and there are guys now that are extremely good. We call them drum programmers, right? <laughs> that can do very realistic, real-feeling, real-sounding, programmed drums. Ah. And that has become so, it is getting so good that you may not know that it's programmed drums. But there are still plenty of drum session drummers. Yeah, there's probably fewer now than there were 10 years ago, but there are still out there, people still wanna see live human beings play music live. Sure. Sure. You know, so yeah. it's 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 <sighs> weird. There, we know that a big chunk of the business is going to fall away. It's going to become AI'd. We know that. There's certain things that can be very easily done with AI, but the things that involve human emotion, actual acting, it'll take more time and money to program an AI to sound real than a real person can just do it.
0: That's an interesting point.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know? and,
0: uh, and we're going to get back in, in, in the tech talk for our broadcast engineer friends, but I, I love the, you know, sidebarring for philosophical discussion. It seems like a year two two years ago, maybe just before COVID, there were some uh, services popping up where they were using a, an engine, but you could type in a, a radio advertising text and choose the voice you wanted and it would come back at you. And, you know, it's It's one of these things that the first few times you hear it, you think, "Well, that's really good," but then you realize, "At
1: first you're impressed."
0: The first few times, but after you hear it a few times, you realize, "I know exactly how this voice is going to say that sentence, and I'm tired of it. I'd like a little variation, please." And I hate to admit this, and younger folks in our audience will say, Mm -hmm. "Well, Kirk, you idiot!" But the first time I heard MP3, I thought, "Wow, that's amazing," because I didn't know what artifacts to listen for. My brain had never processed those artifacts. it's true. And, oh, yeah. you know, 10, 15 years later, like, oh no, I'm not really that crazy about MP3 anymore. I, I really like, you know, the original w- full spectrum wave file. Uh, there are things PCM. that sound better about that. Yeah,
1: mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. No, it is all about training and, and discernment. The, the good news is that I think that the, thanks to, you know, things like the Apple AirPods, mm-hmm. good sounding earbuds are becoming more common, mm-hmm. right? So I think more and more young people, my daughter's 13, she's her hearing and she is more discerning now about the way something would sound than maybe a 13-year-old was 10 years ago, right? Oh. So I, I feel like there's something there that maybe it's the tail wagging the dog, but whatever it is, I think that, even I know it's compressed, I know it's Bluetooth, all this stuff, but at the end of the day, my daughter would rather put on a big pair of headphones that go over her ears and plug in with a cable to her, to her phone than uh-huh. any of this other stuff because I think she notices the differences. She may not know why, but she can hear it. And I think that's a good thing is that more kids can get access to better sounding headphones now for very inexpensive. And they can hear things that we couldn't hear as well without spending a lot of money back in the day. That's an interesting uh, uh, thought uh, concept because I, you know, 10 years ago,
0: uh, uh, my, my ex's daughter played me some music from her little flip phone. And I thought that sounds just terrible. It's, How'd you get that on your phone, sweetie? Well, I held my phone up to Claire's phone and played and record, you know, oh my gosh, wow.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and we all did that. I recorded the radio <laughs> well, yeah. with, with a boom box sitting in front yeah. of a speaker when yeah. I was seven or eight years old.
0: I, I, I didn't have, a, I, I'm a little older. I had a Craig brand cassette recorder, you know, mm-hmm. just a little portable. Hey, um, you mentioned headphones. Um, on a recent show, you talked about your new headphones for 2023. Uh, you want to tell us about <laughs> Which anything new you you've right discovered?
1: <laughs> Which I'm not using right now. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I'm I'm using my my old standbys right now. It's the uh, the old Biodynamic DT770 Pros. I've loved these since I was doing radio broadcasts. I just they're just so comfortable. They're like pillows on my head. I love them. I love the way they sound. But I've been the trying other things because headphones, like everything else, there's constant flow of new ones. Yeah. Um. One company I've been dealing with some of their products uh, through our podcast sponsorship is Austrian Audio, hmm. and these headphones from them. These are the X uh, hi hi dash x15 this is their entry level headphone right they okay. go way up from here this is about 129 twenty nine dollar headphone so comfortable first huh. of all like super like really soft plush deep ear pads really nice pleasing eq not overly boomy it's got enough presence that you can really hear detail but not overly so and um, and these are 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 a really nice option. They have much higher end ones, you know, in the three hundred dollars range. But yeah. I tell you, these these are like these are these are replace your Sony's. If you've been tired of wearing the same Sony headphones for twenty years, give these give these a shot. I think you're going to be amazed I, I, I by I couldn't them. help but notice that there's a big L and a big R uh, right. inside. And, and uh,
0: What you know? What I see? No more arguing with the jock over which is the left and the right. It's pretty plain. Right.
1: Yes, exactly. How, why, how, how, how many companies don't do that? Like, make that clear? Well, there's a little tiny L somewhere. Right. That's yeah. little and then it's see. got a lot of them now have these interchangeable cables, which right. if your jock damages or rips the cable out there. Turn around and it rips out of the thing. You can replace <laughs> the cable. So that's definitely you want minimal. You want replaceable cables on all your headphones. Um, I've also tried a pair of headphones from a company called One More. Um, uh, That is a Bluetooth headphone. I was blown away with how good it sounded for being Bluetooth and being, uh, you know, it's got a very similar sort of ear cup design to this one. And um, one more is a very interesting niche, little weird hi-fi budget company that sells direct. So, you know, it's very much word of mouth, but it's literally spelled one, the number one, more. That's the brand. And they make some really interesting stuff. So Ah. I've been trying a a lot of headphones, but at the end of the day, I put these back on my head. Uh, every single day when I'm at my desk, these biodynamics. You know, one th- thing that we have in,
0: in broadcast, I would imagine you, you might have in VO work as well, is um, people who have worn headphones, cranked them up really loud. Heck, I've been to stations where they used a Crown D75 amp for the headphone amp, and uh, the jocks are hard <sighs> wow. of hearing. And so you crank them up very loud and you get the squeal, the feedback between the headphone and, and, and the mic. Do you ever
1: experience Absolutely. that problem? Well, yeah, I mean, I have a few clients, I go to their studio and I'm like, let me test out your gear. I pick up their cans and it immediately feeds back with the mic as I, as I, as the headphones pass by the microphone (laughs) and I put it and it's like, I'm like, (laughs) holy smoke, you know? And, you know, these are usually voice actors that have been doing this for 20 plus years. Yeah. And the worst is the ones that have been doing it like this for 20 years, one year on, one year off. Oh, that, that ear that they've been using for 20 years mm-hmm. is severely damaged, like, hearing-wise. Like, a lot of hearing lost. So, um, I've been, some of them I know that I've encouraged to try in-ear, in-ear monitors. Um, if they can find something comfortable enough for them to wear. Um, you can run lower SPLs, and it keeps out all the background noise. And, uh, you know, I think they're a good idea. as a, If you want to try something different. But, man, yeah, headphones have caused a lot of hearing damage for folks
0: well, Let me sure. ask you: Any ear monitors keep external noise out by physical activity by blocking it. Um, what about noise-canceling headphones? I remember years ago I bought my first. Uh, I think I guess they were Bose. Probably Bose, huh? Uh, noise-canceling headphones. Yeah. And I remember just being able to listen at lower volumes, and and it was perfectly satisfying. It, it, but but I, I'm there may have been some coloration of the audio, and I was adjusting audio processing. But I could do yeah. so in a noisy transmitter room. Adjust, you know, the the Omnia or the Orban or whatever it was. Right. Do you have any thoughts about the the uh, accuracy of noise canceling headphones?
1: Well, I mean it's gotten dramatically better. Like the ones that like these one more's when I turn on the noise canceling, there's almost zero a very minimal difference in the way they sound. Whereas maybe three, five, five, six, seven years ago, when I turned on the noise canceling, yes, there was a difference in the way the headphones sounded. It it did change their tonal balance in a subtle way and sometimes it increases the noise because there's like a little bit it's noise cancelling but there's like a hiss Mm -hmm. that's just always there just you know that's so that has definitely improved dramatically with with the newer technology but that's the key you want to make sure that if you are using noise cancelling to make sure it's not really coloring the sound in any way so you're still hearing things correctly. I wouldn't necessarily recommend them for an actor wearing headphones while actually performing because mm. I think it's very weird. It's discon- It's a weird sound in your head because it's it's trying to k- subtract out your own sound of your voice from your headphones.
0: Oh, because you, you've, you've got just, bone conduction, you've got stuff going on yeah. around you. You know, come to think of it, I only use my noise canceling to listen to things, right. never to speak.
1: Yeah, I I don't know if I would ever recommend a noise-canceling headphone for tracking or for, you know, for actual performance. Yeah. There might be some exceptions to that, but I I don't recommend it. But for monitoring back in extreme cases like yours and certainly listening on an airplane or anywhere else where it's yeah. in a high noise environment, the noise canceling is a godsend, you know, cuz then True. you can run a lower level. You don't blow your ears out trying to hear a say a podcast over the din of a jet engine. Interesting, what you said about um, jocks who wear one uh, ear ear cup
0: off. I always thought that was a good thing. It, that it helped me. It helped me not be a jock and work the microphone processing. Uh, right. it, I felt yeah. it helped me speak more naturally. But That's I right. can see that if you're used to cranking it up. Now, do you find people are uh, your talent that you work with tend to be left eared or right eared, or do they? Hmm. Because, for example, I'm wearing this little earbud right here. I'll take it out. Yep. I, so I can't hear you right now, uh, and I don't think it's very loud but i, I don't want to i personally don't want to wear headphones and if i put it in my right ear i feel like it just feels weird i feel like my <laughs> cognition is not as high sure because when i hold my phone up when i do anything it's the the left is preferred yeah that ear
1: me. that ear is like in your the way your ear and your brain are are connected they're, uh-huh. they're trained for that purpose <laughs> so now you move the thing to the other side and it, that ear isn't trained. That part of the brain isn't trained with that ear. It just doesn't work as well. You, yeah, so I'm,
0: I'm left-handed. I it's, if I put this in my right ear, it's about as comfortable as me throwing a baseball with my right hand,
1: which I wouldn't normally do. It makes total sense. Absolutely, yeah. Oh, yeah. Whatever it is, you can always damage your hearing if you're not careful. That huh? is for sure. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's bad joke, I'm Feel sorry. Like in your case, you're using that to monitor me, but you're not using it to to monitor yourself. Whereas I'm using yeah. my headphones to monitor myself the way like a jock might want to monitor themselves. Right. Because right. I'm not saying that's a good habit. I, if I was a voice actor, I I would not recommend doing that. Yeah. But because I'm broadcasting, I kind of like to hear the way that I'm actually sounding coming out in the air. I want to hear how much the compressor is compressing. And I, you know, that's the engineer side of me wanting to hear that as I'm talking why um i started
0: an am radio and you know i there were probably three compressors between me and the transmitter and, and i and i wanted to hear you know, you'd, you'd work your voice and he, unfortunately the result oftentimes
1: is we talk like this to kind of modulate the uh, uh yeah. the compressors along the way Voice well, anyway, actors who transition out of radio to vo it's uh-huh. a very long difficult transition mm. on the, on the whole it takes them a long time to train them. my Dear longtime friend in the business, Bo Weaver, Mm -hmm. he will talk about this. He's done it. He's spoken at conferences. Anybody will listen. He'll tell you what it's like to make that transition and that it takes a lot of acting coaching. It takes a lot to take that radio out of your voice. Yeah. Yeah, sure. I, I I I know what you mean,
0: and I I know Bo. I've, I've met him and talked to him uh, for, awesome quite, for quite a while. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, nice guy. Um, hey, uh, when we come back, uh, we're gonna we're talking to George Whittem, and George is an engineer, and he he helps people both uh, hands on locally, and he's got uh, he can do remote service. <clears throat> he and his staff uh, for people specializing in voiceover studios. Um, there's so much talk about, George. I'm not sure where we're going to go, but I, I do want to hear one thing when we come back from the spot break, an opinion about handheld uh, mics mm. or, or portable mics, because, you know, some broadcasters still do live remote broadcasts. They hold a mic uh, or, they, or sports broadcasts. You're down on yeah. the field. You're the field reporter. You want to mm-hmm. hold a mic. Uh, sure. uh, all Interviews, all that kind of stuff. I'd like to hear your thoughts on, on, sure. on some of those things. Uh, hey, it's Kirk Harnack. We're doing This Week in Radio Tech live from the Telos Alliance studio in Nashville, Texas. Tennessee. And I want to uh, bring up Angry Audio and a product that some of George's uh, clients could probably use. Let me I find like this a... company.
1: <laughs> I think they Angry are... Audio is really cool. I love these small niche companies that come up with problem-solving devices. Well, really the, cool. this one is the Bluetooth audio gadget, and this
0: lets you put your smartphone, you know, on the air, so to speak. And sometimes, Ooh. hey, you're doing a podcast, maybe you did an interview on your smartphone just by holding it up, right? And uh, and and you don't have time for the file transfer. You can't figure out iCloud and how. To just, please let me get my file. Well, yeah. you know what? You can play it back live through the Bluetooth audio gadget, and there's what it looks like. It's got a little Bluetooth antenna on it. Mm-hmm. It's easy to pair up with your phone. There's a pairing button on there. One of the buttons on the front is spring activated and you can, you you activate it. It goes into pairing mode. You pair it with your, your Bluetooth on your, on your phone. And this is, this is what's cool because it, it, I mean, other devices do this too, but this one does it
1: really well. They make it It, a pro tool. It's not consumer grade. It's pro grade. And,
0: and and part of what makes that is that it, it really knows the difference between putting a phone conversation, a two-way conversation through its audio inputs and outputs, and just a one-way playback from your phone. So if you've got an interview you want to play back, it plays back in the highest possible quality using uh, AppTex, uh or AAC on the iPhone as the codec between the two. But if you're putting, a, if you want to conduct a phone call and put that on your podcast, flip, you know, just open your, turn on, whatever, your cell phone, Hook it to this, and and then let's see if we got it.
1: Oh yeah, here's a picture of the back. I'm You've looking got, at it right now. I'm I literally know somebody that needs this. Ah, well there you go, there you yeah, go. Absolutely. Uh, it
0: it has uh it has a an AES digital output on it, but it, mm-hmm. but then it also has a, a analog input on XLR and fully balanced uh, analog output on XLR. Power nice. supply is built in. There's no wall wart. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's it's fully approved. It's available, you know, in in 115 volt and 230 volt. Uh, um, Voltages, nice. Uh, and you, if 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 you if you have a phone that still has a three point five millimeter headphone jack on it, you can you can connect it directly up, and you just use this as a balancing interface between That's great. your phone and your audio console. So this is really professional. Very useful. I've talked to so many people who love this Bluetooth audio gadget. You get it from Angry Audio. You can go to angryaudio.com and i got to tell you, I'm so lucky. I'm so lucky. They're just down the street from me. I say down the street, I mean a 20 minute drive and uh, I was just in there uh, a couple weeks ago uh, talking to the owner, Mike Dosh, and uh, and his, uh, his uh, helper, wife, AJ, and wow, what a great little business that they have. They're making a amazing things. And if you wire with Studio Hub, which many people do, They got the full Studio Hub line there, the dongles, the adapters, the cable kits, and and all that. So check it out from Angry Audio, angryaudio.com. Hey, I also want to mention our friends at Max Connect Wireless because Max Connect, uh, the Max Connect group, they can do so much for you, including and especially uh, the uh, Max Connect wireless device. I got one right here, and I've also got uh, John Takak with Radio 1 to tell you about it.
3: With all of the recent cybersecurity attacks against large corporations, we were looking for a product that would give us the ultimate security at our transmitter sites and as well as with our broadcast equipment. MaxConnect fits the bill very well. Its greatest security feature is the fact that it gives you a single static IP address. Using this single static IP address allows us to close hundreds of open ports on our firewalls across the company and restrict access to only the MaxConnect IPs. This has greatly reduced our exposure to the World Wide Web and made us much more secure moving forward. It has also given us the ability to expand as needed in a secure fashion.
0: The benefit about Max Connect wireless is even if you're in a crowded place with lots of people, let's say a stadium, and everybody's got their phones on, they're doing their Facebook updates, checking their Twitter, making phone calls and FaceTimes you still get bandwidth because the only people with a higher priority packets than you have are first responders. So this is amazing stuff. It works even in high density environments, you get your bandwidth. And I have personally used Max Connect in a couple of emergency situations to keep stations on the air, uh, streaming, and even literally on the air, keep their transmitters running because their STL was an IPSTL. And uh, you know when when the cable company breaks your cable, you got to do something else. So Max, Connect Wireless can can get that done for you. Thanks uh, thanks a lot, Max Connect, for sponsoring this week in Radio Tech. In fact, it was this one right here. This, this kept WEVL in Memphis, Tennessee, the volunteer station there, uh, community station, on the air for a whole week and during their um, fun drive, <laughs> during their pledge drive, too. Hey, we're here talking to George Whittem. Uh, he is uh, the
1: uh, engineer to the stars. <laughs> that's, another, to st- that's another tab in my browser now. The Max Connect. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Because I I have clients like talk about being road warriors. I have uh-huh. a client who has a one of those diesel pushers. You know the big tour buses types. You know campers. He's got a, a mast. He puts up a mast in his campground so he gets the best LTE out of anybody. Yeah. But this takes it to the next level because of that prioritization. That's that's the key. Yeah, it, it's particularly good. As long as
0: we're mentioning it. Uh, it, it it doesn't always offer the highest bandwidth. Although I got to tell you, I was on well, I was on my honeymoon uh, a couple weeks ago, and I was we were at a seaside bar, and I did the show from there. And uh, with my uh, the hotel Wi-Fi was great, and then it was gone, and great, and it was That's gone, right. and great, and it was gone. So then I tried my cell phone, which I was getting pretty good five G mm-hmm. speed out of my T-Mobile cell phone as a hotspot, but sometimes it would get wonky, and I'd lose packets, and and you know several seconds would go by when I got you know. Bad connectivity, kind of so I thought, okay, I'm gonna hook this up. Well, uh, this one has two SIM cards. I tried Verizon. It turned out Verizon wasn't great right there. I'm sure it's great other places, but it wasn't great there. Tried AT and T, and I got the 13 megs down and about 12, 10 or 12 megs up. Doesn't sound like a lot, but I, I feel like every packet was getting through there. It wasn't, and it was consistent the whole hour.
1: Uh, Didn't lose a beat. It just, it just worked that great. word. You're gonna hear it over and over. Consistent. It was you know, consistent. Can, we, we want. Consistency. We don't need maximum, like people buying computers. Oh, I need the I need this thing with with you know all these bells and whistles and the most meg RAM and the most fastest CPU and the biggest GPU. No, you need the right tool for the job. Something yeah. that it does. It doesn't make a lot of heat. Doesn't make a lot of noise. Reliable and consistent. Like you just can count on it day after day. That's what we beg for in a home studio. And like I know it's not quite broadcast. You know we. A home studio can go offline for brief periods of time. Right. But for some voice actors, that brief period of time that their studio is down, they could lose a gig. Like yeah. A lot of that promo stuff is not, none of it's on contract. You can be the voice of NBC comedy Monday night, and then it's gone because right. you didn't show up to work that that moment you know Mm -hmm. so so that uptime for even voice actors is can be really critical and there's probably 50 people in their rolodex uh who would who would like to do it too oh that's for sure yeah absolutely absolutely i've caught clients who lost the gig and another one of my clients got the gig hey i'm the new voice of so-and-so oh and he isn't anymore okay Uh,
2: (laughs) so
0: that's how it goes can you talk to us for a minute about a handheld mic or a a portable mic what i
1: wish i had one with me Uh, so handheld mics you know we all know them they go from 19 $18 to $700, right? Cheap, uh, like a cheap uh, pile brand handheld dynamic all the way up to, uh, you know, Neumann. Neumann makes a really, really good handheld. And what I've found is that, um, and I'm going to get my hands on one (laughs) very soon for testing, is that um, what the companies do, like Sennheiser, Neumann, Audio-Technica, is they're taking their their studio-grade capsules and circuits and everything and just repackaging it. So you're getting a one-inch large diaphragm condenser capsule, um, but now it's packaged in a way that's way more voice-friendly. Um, it's not this big, kind of awkward, bulky mic that takes up you know, a lot of space. They travel well because they're literally made to be handheld and traveled with on the road. Um, they're internally shock-mounted. They're internally pop-screened. They, and some of them even have some internal filtering. Um, one of them, the Sennheiser, and just because I've been re- researching this recently, so these model numbers are still in my head. <laughs> the, e, the E965, I believe, is a dual capsule. You would never know it. It just looks like a regular handheld, but it's a dual one-inch diaphragm capsule mic in hmm. a handheld. And inside the head basket, you can choose cardioid or super cardioid. So you can set that pickup pattern And it's switching the diaphragm polarization based on what the pickup patterns needed. That's a $400 mic. That's pretty sophisticated for a handheld microphone. And I think that mic could be an incredibly versatile tool that can go out in the field that can be um, that can be studio recording that can be re- voice acting while traveling mm-hmm. and all kinds of stuff so i'm really uh, i'm really looking forward to start doing some testing with that and we're going to get some of those mics from Sennheiser because another venture i'm on called TriBooth where we make these portable pop-up voiceover booths oh yeah um then we got some things boiling in the background that might get us more involved with sennheiser so uh if that happens and when that happens did i was i allowed to say that we'll find out um (laughs) um, we're going to be getting more of their mics to test out in our in our tri booth but um it's it yeah i think handhelds are you know they're they're they are uh because they all look similar from like again a twenty dollar handheld to a $700 handheld, I think there's this thought that they can't give you extreme fidelity, extreme studio quality audio, and that's absolutely, definitely not true. The specs on them now are really impressive. What, what do you call when
0: they, because when, I've, I've got a Sennheiser mic that's like the TV version, the on-camera, it's because it's, it's just got a longer handle on it. Maybe it's got more to it, I don't, I don't think so, though. Um, but I can't think of the model number. Is it right, the 52
1: right or? something like that, MD52 or MD MD something. Yeah, they, they make interview mics. Some of them have a longer neck, some of them mm-hmm. are shorter, and the long neck ones are obviously really great for man on the street doing on the spot, back and forth interviews. And the thing is that makes these mics work so well for that kind of use case is they're omnidirectional. Omnidirectional is what you want for that because now you're not worried so much about proximity. Oh, When you're using those cardioids, the proximity is critical like Hmm. if it's too close it gets plosivey and boomy and poppy and too far away and it doesn't sound great omnis are way more forgiving they barely you can barely pop them they don't have proximity effect. So you can get it somewhere near their face. <laughs> and as long as there's not too much background noise, you can get clean audio. And that's that's why going way back to the original EV, what is the six thirty five A, the little gray, <laughs> I still have one of those. I yeah. used it for doing NAM show trade show interviews for for years because it's you can't screw it up. It, first of all, you can hammer a nail with
0: it. Yeah, I use put it putting paneling in the garage uh, with the little paneling nails.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, and you can't really screw it up too bad. If it's here, it sounds okay. If it's here, it sounds okay. It, yeah. You know, it's not sensitive to that. So mics for the purpose is definitely something. I would not use those high-end condenser... Cardioids for like a, a man on the street interview that would be a, tough. A few years ago, I saw a behind the scenes video
0: of interviewing President Obama, and uh, uh, the I forget who the interviewer was. It may have been Bill O'Reilly. It may have been somebody else. But they were going to interview President Obama, and they had these presidential chairs that were. I, Old and expensive and quite valuable and <laughs> and and but the mic they used was it looked like the same mic I'm using. Like uh, a Sennheiser the, shotgun. Or? The, yeah, the Sennheiser MKH four six five. Yeah, and, and they they clamped them. To the armrests, and mm. so they were just out of camera shot, mm. uh, and and of course, yeah, I, the, they would have had to stay in a pretty you know small area. But I don't, you know, in a presidential interview, you're not going to be
1: bouncing around so much. Sure, you're going to be sure. very very proper, prim, and and respectful. Yeah, and, Mike has to be predetermined which way is the actor, which way is the the the, the interviewee, which which way are they going to be looking, which yeah. way are they going to be facing? Because as soon as they do this they're off they're off mic so so that's that all has to be planned out in advance pretty sure they
0: angled the chair so that the the they had to look a certain way right and i'm pretty sure that when you go in to talk to the president you don't move the chair around
1: (laughs) well they probably they were probably like you get 10 minutes ah if the if the sound guy has to lav up the president yeah there's your 10 minutes Uh. (laughs) oh so it's like they want him to sit down bang out that interview and walk off set and yeah. that's probably why they did that because normally you would lab, probably lab the, lab, the person. You would think, right? Yeah. Yeah but, yeah. but there, they had control of the environment. They could control over the cameras, the lighting, the everything, boom, put the mics uh, in a fixed location. Is really great. Good idea.
0: I wish we weren't running so short on time, but I would like to, you mentioned the David K. studio build. Would you like to look at some of those pictures? Yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah.
1: This one Let goes me. back a ways. This was, Maybe. uh, this is about, uh, 10, well, yeah, there you go, 2013. This was a pool cabana that had a a little upstairs section to it that was like a little extra room. And um, it was really cool. And uh, as you can see, there's a little extra room up there. We took the front half of that, uh, which was like, had a steam room and a bathroom and completely reconfigured it, Mm. blew out the ceiling and vaulted it. So it had a vaulted ceiling. So the original ceiling was a flat deck when mm-hmm. we were done with it, it had this vaulted ceiling. And this is another one of and where the where the workers coming in, that's an airlock. Oh. So okay. it's the door to the outside. There's a bathroom to his left and then a double door into the studio. So there's actually three doors between his room and the outside when it's uh, when it's all said and done. It's another one of these soundproof the entire space, you know. Mm-hmm. He didn't want to be in a little booth. He I think there's this commonality among those that come from radio. They don't want to be... Uh, Some of them like it. I know Bill Weaver, he likes the booth. He likes to feel like I'm in a booth now. I'm an actor. Now I'm outside the booth. I'm a producer. Yeah. But but others like David, they want that feeling of a radio station. Joe Cipriano is the same way. I want to have it all right in front of me. I want to have this, you know, control station right in front of me. And that's and that's what David has. That's a really old photo of his original rack. <laughs> yeah, and he had, he had an LA-4 or 3. I can't remember what it was. Uh-huh. And an LA-1070, uh, a 1080, whatever Neve uh, preamp that was, you know? And over the years, his setup has gotten more and more simplified. You know, I keep removing things from <laughs> his yeah. setup cause I like because I just want it to be reliable. But uh, yeah, so that was the whole gist of this. This was, this was a big job to get that huge space, cavernous room um, to sound uh, quiet. And, and he lives in Burbank, oh no, I'm sorry, he lives in Toluca Lake, or did. Where we have airplanes flying overhead from Burbank International, yeah, and it was difficult to to knock that noise level down. It wasn't perfect, but with a little bit of an expander, my secret weapon, yeah, uh, we got that room sounding really, really quiet. You know, and uh, he works. It works great.
0: Do you implement uh, that? Looks like a a tankless hot water here.
1: Yeah, I think that was actually part of the HVAC system. Believe it or not. Oh, okay yeah interesting um i'll get to some uh
0: cloth selection motion. this is not
1: an edited gallery it's random but this yeah, is some random. color swatches for the design oh nice that's color, that's man. that's what the room looked like before furniture and equipment went in Yeah, it was okay. all wired for it was all wired for 5.1 surround yeah um and uh and now where he lives in camarillo we kind of re-replicated re- re- this in his new home in, in camarillo and and he still has a 5.1 surround uh system and uh yeah, that's yeah. It was quite elaborate build out. Um, it took a lot of time, and uh, I went a little overkill on the acoustical panels. Uh, <laughs> I can,
0: think. Can you can you overkill that?
1: Well, I don't know. I, they we we hung four inch thick panels on the ceiling. Yeah. And I think in this use case it was not necessary. I could have gone two inch. You know, that's kind of little things that you kind of do a little guessing with these studios, especially when the ceiling is vaulted. It's more complicated, Oh yeah. and it's a little yeah. harder to figure out how the room's going to sound until you kind of get everything in there. Um, I tend to design studios very practically. I don't think about the perfection of a studio. I think about what is it like to sit and work in this space? How comfortable is it? Is it somewhere you can work in day in, day out? Do you like to be in the space? All those things go into the design, and then the acoustics kind of comes last where we just tune it. To make sure that right where you're at with that mic you're not hearing reflections and echoes mm-hmm. and resonances and and things like that and that's kind of how i go about it wow wow
0: uh man i, w- I wish we had more time uh, you georgie. guys could just
1: go to georgely.tech <laughs> click on studio gallery and just pour through all these different build projects there's a ton of them on there you can just look through they show intense amounts of detail so if you're really careful if you're really observant you might be able to build your studio just off these photos <laughs> <laughs> how
0: uh, how do you how do you find the trade-off between using thick acoustic panels versus maybe thinner acoustic panels and bass traps in the corner of mm. uh, the office i'm in right now and i'm, I'm not going to swing the camera around there's too much junk but i i, I use some i, I guess they're two inch acoustic panels and then uh I, I bought a kit that was right sized for my room and the bass traps came with it. When I put them, I, I thought, yeah, that did make a difference. That really did. Of course, the carpet made the biggest difference. You know, putting yeah. a, a desk and pictures on the wall made a difference. Yeah. Acoustic panels made a huge difference. But the bass traps, I thought, yeah, it it, it is. The bass
1: is quieter in here now. Mm hmm. What do you think? Yeah, so bass trapping for, for, if we're talking about specifically about a voiceover context, yeah. the smaller the room you're in, the more critical the bass trapping is in. Oh. Right? So so like this is a this is a Studio Bricks model one. That and it's it's about three and a half by four and a half feet inside. Mm-hmm. It's pretty small. So you're gonna have these things called room modes. These are standing waves that are predicated by the exact dimensions of the chamber, right? Whatever right. the size is, it's gonna have these frequencies that you're gonna be fighting against how you decide to deal with those depends on the amount of space you have to work with if i if i had my druthers i'd have four inch thick panels over the entire perimeter of that room but it's going to get really small so i have a, a mixture of things i have base traps in one corner i have thicker four inch panels behind where i'm standing then i have on my sides i have thinner panels i have this variety of things so that I'm killing off as many of these different standing waves and resonances without completely ruining, getting rid of all the interior usable space. Mm -hmm. Like these little tiny booth spaces are a nightmare acoustically. They're really Uh. terrible. They're so bad that if you talk to an acoustician who has a degree and a master's and maybe even a a doctorate in acoustics, they'll tell you that you can't use a room that small to record a good sounding (laughs) voiceover. Uh. They literally will tell you the math doesn't work and that is true so we have to figure out we improvise so yeah it is sometimes corner based traps it is sometimes four inch or two inch um it it just depends on the size of the room and and the frequencies that we have to deal with but generally the thicker the panel the lower the frequencies that it can control you know so it's it's space size and practical it's all dependent on the practicality of the space and all that all that stuff works together
0: uh, I've, I, I want to show you one thing about my room here. You tell me your opinion: is this uh, thumbs up, thumbs down, not necessary? And that is right above my space.
1: Oh uh, no! Absolutely, ceiling. Are... I'm a huge fan of ceiling clouds. Okay. Anything, okay. anytime you can hide your acoustics up on the ceiling, yeah. always a good idea. I have uh, a two by four foot big foam piece on my ceiling right over my head. I have uh, a one on the wall above me, and this room is an example of clutter is your friend. <laughs> yes, right? it is. The so more cluttered and the more stuff that's in there, this shelf over here full of gear, and uh, my closet's full of clothing over here with the door open, so <laughs> oh, that's yeah, absorbing sure. sound. Yeah. I have a futon, right? I have a yeah. rug. I've got a drape over here. I've got a panel. Like, this room is a, an amalgamation of pieces, but when you add it all together, you get a great sounding space, you know? so. You can start from scratch and design it from from the ground up, or you can take existing spaces and just tune them uh, based on the need and the kind of mic you're using and the kind of stuff that you're doing. So I, I really love that art of it. I love. I know there's a lot of science in acoustics. I have the damn books. I've tried reading them. They're a nightmare. <laughs> but, uh, but the reality of treating a space to fit the person's unique needs, and there's a little art of it. There's a little bit of luck and a lot of experience, you know, and that's how I like tuning rooms. We are talking to George Whittem, and we'll have all the links in the show
0: notes and we're gonna be right back in a minute with a final thought from George after this word and uh, and some of George's uh, customers, uh, clients probably use this. It's the Vox Pro and you can get your Vox Pro from Broadcasters General Store. Let's hear from St. John.
3: Hey, what's happening? St. John here coming to you from Command Central and wanted to tell you about the absolute best partner you can have in radio. I'm talking about, boom, Wheatstone's Vox Pro. Lots of different audio software out there. Why Vox Pro? It's the only software designed to do what we needed to do, which is record, edit, playback in real time. When I say lightning fast, I'm gonna show you how fast you can edit stuff up in Vox Pro right now. Literally three clicks on the controller, mark left, mark right, everything that gets marked, you hit delete, goes away. It's literally that fast. So we're going to take this part right here. Boy, I think. Boom. From caller nine to him saying, I'm ready. Five. Ready for that secret sound. Boom. All of that stuff. Hit delete. It goes away. Here's your edit. You are tackling secret sound. Caller nine. I'm ready. One of the best features of version 7, this is awesome, it's effects macros, and you can literally put a chain of effects together so that instead of uh, having to normalize a phone bit and then uh, use noise reduction on it and EQ it and all that, you can literally build a chain. One button, this button, this one's called call right here, I just click that, all of those processes happen instantaneously. Final thing that I love about Voxpro, and there's so much more to get into, but uh, one of my favorite things, you can load it on a laptop. I've literally done my show from a hotel room in Armenia to uh, the conference room at, yeah, this was fun, jury duty. Great thing. No one could tell the difference. Voxpro makes it totally easy. Telling you, if you're looking for the best on-air partner, call my friends at Wheatstone, ask them about Voxpro, and you will be glad you did. Of course,
0: you can get uh, your Vox Pro, whoops, from a broadcaster's general store. Go to the website, bgs.cc, bgs.cc. Or do what I do, call them because they love telephones at 352-622-7700. They'll talk to you uh, until you feel comfortable. That's 352-622-7700 for broadcasters general store thanks a lot for sponsoring this week
1: in radio tech all right george that's the third tab it's locked in my browser because (laughs) there are so many products that are broadcast specific that could apply to voiceover that we just don't think of and now i know about another interesting product to to play around with that's really cool especially if i do fast stuff
0: that vox pro is really good for for voice actors have
1: to turn stuff around fast they're doing uh, thirty to fifty auditions a day. Whew. They're they're turning around. Boom. It, it, time is money. You yeah. got to be quick. So yeah. anything that accelerates that production process is is the really competitive voiceover actors are going to use them.
0: George, my apologies for not warning you more, but I wonder if you can. We're out of time. Can you leave us with a tip that uh, our our listeners and viewers can walk away with? And hey, it could be. It, well, we've already talked about your website, but uh, you know, for for anyway. Any tips at all. I I would say
1: we love gear. All of us do, right? That's why we we do radio engineering. That's why we're doing this show. But when it comes down to getting good voiceover audio, I hate to tell you, it's the really boring, non-glamorous stuff that matters. It's knowing how to use your mic, how far away it should be from your mouth, what angle from your mouth it should be, Hmm. and then acoustically tuning the space around you. And this is boring stuff, but... What this is, is this is the audio side of photography, where in photography, it's about lighting, choosing the right lens, and the rest, once you have the right lens, you put it in the right place, you focus that lens (laughs) and you light the scene, you nailed it, right? In audio, same thing, except the focus is adjusting the microphone further and closer. The, uh, The lighting is the acoustics. That is the best thing I can. That's the best analogy I can come up with. People think visually. Audio is harder to understand. If you think of it that way, it might help you. And you start realizing how incredibly critical those little details really are. Most of what I do day to day when I consult folks on Zoom is literally tell them where to put their mic. And when they do that, it's like they bought a brand new mic. They're like, oh my gosh, (laughs) if I had only known, I wouldn't have had to buy another mic. Well, the mic you already had was perfect. You just didn't know how to use it. So just know how to use your gear. Know how to use your mic and train your ears. Listen, listen, listen to everything you record critically so you know what it's supposed to sound like. Like my good friend Dan Leonard from VOBS says, whistle what it's supposed to sound like. You need to know that so that you can give great product- production quality. That sounds
0: good. What good advice. You can find out uh, more of George's advice at George the. Dot tech, pretty clever. George of the dot Tech, so all things George um, are there at George, at George of the dot Tech. So Thank George, uh, we'll put links to all that in the show notes and encourage people to come visit you and, and check out your podcasts as well. Thanks so much. Thanks for being with us. Hey, thanks a lot to George Whittem. Thanks to all of our sponsors on This Week in Radio Tech. Also, uh, thanks to Suncast for helping produce this show. If you see any mistakes in the show, th- that was me. If you see anything done right in the show, like lower thirds, that that's Suncast. I appreciate you, Suncast. And thanks also to Andrew Zarian, the founder of the GFQ Network, home of other good podcasts. So check them out. Thanks a lot, Andrew. We'll see you next week on This Week in Radio Tech. Bye-bye.